and behold, the heavens were opened. A ninth season. <laughs> we believe in the Trinity. We believe in the five solas. We believe in the doctrines of grace. A lot of the time, people are asking the wrong questions. They're not asking the questions like, do I understand God's grace? Do I understand the cross? have their own ministry. It doesn't matter if you work as a CEO or you work at McDonald's or whatever you do, or whether you're quote unquote in ministry, you have a ministry. As we mature, we walk, we, we enjoy our relationship with God as much as we see his majesty in the blessings that we have just by what Yeshua has done for us, not by what we have done to impress God and then get something from him. So faith, so, so salvation by faith. Absolutely. Salvation by faith. I keep zeroing in on these, you know, the big ideas, like what is biblical love? You know, what is, what is grace? Do I have an accurate understanding of God's grace? Our love for Yeshua, but his love, like through us is why we're doing what we're doing. And that's why it's called Messiah Matters. Wednesday, October 5th, 2022. This is Messiah Matters number 403, pre-recorded because it's Yom Kippur. My name is Caleb Hegg. And enjoying the music. And I was just blown away that Caleb said we're getting close to a 10th season. And that blew me away. I'm Rob Vanhoff. Truth is the truth. So today, the day that this is airing is... Wednesday, October 5th, which is Yom Kippur. So Rob and Tishri I are... 10, baby. Rob and I are not eating right now. We are probably with people yeah. praying. Uh, but uh, we decided we'd pre-record because, hey, why not? We can do that. It's our show. So that's what we did. And uh, we have... Yeah, so we don't have a... Uh, we don't have a chat room full of the 36 listeners that, that currently listen to us. But uh, we do... But you're here, you're here in spirit. Yes, exactly. Caleb, I, I need to open with it with the note I got uh, from one of our listeners, Kelly. Let's let's hear it. You got to hear this. She says, hey, you, we're having a serious family discussion. Then a, like a little wink emoji, right? Serious okay. family discussion. Yes. How is Caleb in Hebrew pronounced? The debate is, is it Caleb like with a short A sound 
is it Kalev with it with anyway, she says or something else. If you want to leave us a voice text or something, that would be great. And then I said, how about I'll try to just say it on Messiah Matters and on the show. She, she liked that. Okay. So, and I, I realized that I, uh, uh, had assumed the accent. So, so the proper in the Torah, there's Caleb, son of Jephunneh, right? So that's Caleb and Joshua are the two right. faith, faithful spies. As you know, you and your your brother Joshua are named after these uh, biblical heroes, of course, heroes yes. of faith. And uh, so the proper pronunciation in the Torah, according to the Masoretic uh, pointing, is Kalev. Right. Kalev, the accent on the second syllable. Right. Kalev, where I didn't, I, I just did a quick skim and it looks like it's consistently the second syllable that right. is accented. Kalev, Kalev. Now, I would have thought Kalev, maybe, but Kalev. And then it's to be distinguished from the word Kelev. Kelev is the word for dog. I got stories. You've got, okay. So Kelev. Uh, is the word for dog. They're spelled the same way, kaf, lamad, bet, but they're vocalized right. very differently. Kalev ben Yefuna is the Caleb, the son of Jefuna. Uh, so there you go. Ke- uh, whatever the, the family dispute was for Kelly's family, Kalev. Right. Kalev. It's, so I was walking in uh, Israel near Haifa uh, on the kibbutz that I lived on and a guy stopped me and we chatted I was desperately trying to stumble over my Hebrew which was not working and of course this guy was like he, he knew like seven languages he he, tra- he was like do you speak Italian do you speak French all in He's these like- languages right oh, gosh and he said what's your name in Hebrew and I said Kalev and he said and he just laughed he said what you're a dog and I said no not Kalev Kalev like Kalev ben Yafuna I said oh Kalev ben Yafuna so like, like Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, right? So yeah, you have to, and that, that was a conversation. That was the, that was the interaction that happened probably 90% of the time in Israel. If you say that your name is Kalev, mm-hmm. they say, oh, you're a dog <laughs> or Kalev, which is like milk, right? Or Kalav, Kalav. Or ha- with a chet, yeah, spelled. Yeah. Kalav, Kalev. Yeah, but in Israel, they don't really pronounce, like they don't really, pr- like in the West, They'll teach us a chet, right? Pretend like you're getting something out of your throat, chet. But in Israel, it's real subtle. You almost can't hear it. It's like a, it's like a cough almost, like chet, but chet. Yeah. So anyway, nice. yes, anyway, that is how okay, that's so hopefully how that family dispute has been resolved. Yes, exactly. Okay, so uh, 253-465-3205, if you have any family disputes that you need us to help you with, yes, uh, go exactly. ahead. exactly. That's the and, first of many, perhaps. Right, exactly. You can also shoot us an email, chegatorresource.com, at chegatorresource.com. And if you are looking for materials for Sukkot coming up, then you can go to Torah Resource. There's tons of free stuff on Sukkot on torahresource.com Caleb, right now. Uh, just so you know, Mikot es Sukkot. Okay. Mikasa es sukasa. I get it. Miko no, I get it. I'm, I'm okay. just not. I'm not going to laugh at your. That's like one horrible. of those like. That's a bad dad joke. It is a. It is a bad that's dad. A mess, well, that's you're a you're bad. known. That's what you're known for. Okay. Uh, oh, our producers. Good gracious! What am I doing here? Um, there we go. So so uh, give love family to our disputes, producers. Bad jokes. Bad Send dad them all jokes. in. Send them all in. Was it you who sent me the uh, the clip of that nun, given that the. <laughs> Uh, I got to get that. I got to get that. We'll, we'll play the it. Next, 
the jokes. We'll play it next time. We'll play it next time. Okay, let's uh, jump into some of our conversation for the day. It looks like I have... Okay, so Miguel sent this into our Facebook. You can also send us messages through our Facebook as well. Um, he says this, I like your podcast, Love is Love. So we did a podcast. I don't even know what number that was. It was a while ago. Um, love is Love. You can look it up. Messiah Matters, Love is Love. Anyway. You can Google uh, it. You can Google it. I don't even have my soundboard up today. That's how slacking we are doing. Okay. Netanyahu. How do you feel some study cultural Bibles have depictions of Babylonian and Greek gods and references of cult rituals? Okay. Now, I wasn't quite sure what the question was. And then Rob explained to me how he sees the question. So I'm going to let Rob, once again, explain to everyone how he's viewing this question and go. So could you read it one more time just to... I like your podcast. Love is love. I think he's referencing that because in there we talk about cult, you know, like cult prostitution and and stuff like that. Anyway. Oh, okay. How do you feel some study study, study slash cultural Bibles have depictions of Babylonian slash Greek gods and references of cult rituals? And actually... So I got an email this morning. I will find it while you talk that um, actually kind of goes into the same thing. Go ahead and, and uh, tell tell me. Yeah, what cool. And this reminds me of an email from one of our listeners, Corey, I think uh, several months ago, asking about, you know, just having books in our library that have that that explain pagan ritual and have images like, right. you know, cause in the Torah, it says you shall not inquire after their methods, right? You shall destroy their, you're supposed to destroy that stuff. Right. So I can see Corey's question way back with Miguel's question here. It's kind of so, in the same, on the same table. They're discussing. So, so I, I'll throw this in there too. When I was growing up, we were told that the uh, troll dolls, you know, with the hair, we were told that th- <laughs> those were pagan, like that th- those were modeled after some pagan deity or something. And so every time somebody like would give one to me or I could acquire one, I'd go smash it because I figured the, the ritual smashing. Yeah. The ritual smash smashing of the troll dolls. Right. Yeah. I, I had friends who their, their parents wouldn't let them. They let out a, smurfs. a screech, a demonic screech while you're <laughs> destroying it. Right. I mean, but it, it, same kind of thing, right? Like, are we even supposed to possess something that could like that we're supposed to own something? They could possess. He said possess and but I mean, all in the same sense. Oh, uh-oh. But you get what I'm saying, right? Okay. So back to Miguel's question is, yeah, yeah. I think I have like the NIV archaeology Bible or, you know, that kind of thing. Like it's like what it is. It's a big, thick encyclopedic size Bible that has, you know, your basic 66 books plus a whole bunch of color images of ancient Near Eastern locations and different maybe statues and inscriptions and artifacts, pots, you know, vessels, bathing uh, pools, you know, the mikvah, all sorts of things like that, that then describe this is what it was life was like in ancient Mesopotamia. This is what life was like in, you know, 15th century Egypt, you know, stuff like that. You can Google it. (laughs) <laughs> and in then in the discussion there, sometimes they'll even say, here's a here's a quotation from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Right. right. Or here's a here's a quotation from the Enuma Elish. Right. The uh, Babylonian creation epic. <clears throat> Pardon me. Or 
from the Ugaritic account of Baal, right? And so then they'll have a little section of poetry. And okay, it's like, I have. A, I, I have. What an I hear Miguel before... saying is like, "What? That's like, if you're, if I'm if I'm reading the prophets of Elijah or Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Kings, and I come to this page that has a, a picture of the statue of Baal and has some sort of Ugaritic poetry translated into it." Does that belong in a Bible next to the Holy Word of God? That's that's so, what I hear is the core. So this person sent this is different, but so, somebody sent in a question. Say, uh, <laughs> and and this might be something that uh, it might be tied. I was listening to a prominent teacher of FFZ that said that so, that a psalm was plagiarized from a song taken from a song to Baal, Psalm twenty nine. So I, I haven't looked into that, but the, but the the notion that like your commentary would tell you something like that, right? Or try to argue something like that, right? Is that kind of what we're talking about? Yeah, I think so. I, uh, I don't buy this. I don't I don't buy that at all, by the way, but but not the point. Keep going. Yeah, it sounds like the people at FFOZ really are providing a service there. <laughs> Another distraction to you brought to you by yeah. from the anyway, land of Okay. So keep going. So what? So what? What? What is your thought on that? Do you, should we have study Bibles like that? It's a. I I have been chewing on that since he, at first it seemed simple. It's like, well, you know, it's a study Bible. My my thought is this: is we don't want to mix things that don't mix, that aren't supposed to be mixed. That's that's true. Mixed mixing things that essentially differ. We're not that, supposed that to that shouldn't be mixed, right? And so the question is, if I have a Bible that's devotional, well, here here's an example. I thought. And it sounds silly, but like, you know, the, the idea is you don't take a Bible in to the bathroom, right? And and the idea is, is what are we, we're keeping things separate, right? We're keeping things separate. But so there's a place, but there is a people place will for take it, right? a newspaper. People will take a newspaper into the bathroom. So if, so what's the, like, what's behind that sense of separation what's behind it and and if i'm sitting in i've got you know it's morning time i'm up early it's quiet and i have my devotional time with my with a devotional bible and i'm reading psalm 29 and i'm being prayerful and then i think oh this is just a plagiarized uh canaanite text what's what's just happened in my heart Right. Like what, what, so, okay. But, but let me play increases there in the world. Okay. If I read, if like the opposite page of my study Bible tells me, oh yeah, this is, uh, this is an example of Israelite appropriation of ancient Near Eastern uh, literary genres, and then just redirecting and just changing some of the words to redirect it. You know, it's kind of like it's like oh, they found. But don't this, you? But don't. But don't you they think destroyed, that a- they destroyed the pagan temple and built a church there? So you go to the church and you go, oh, you know, I enjoy the church, but it was once a site where they were offered children to Moloch. You know. So, but I mean, okay, but do, but hang on just a second. Let me let me play devil's advocate here for a few seconds. Don't you? I mean, there obviously is a place for that, right? I mean, there's a place for us to sit down and study and say, okay, let's see what's really going on here. To try to understand near, near each Eastern culture and 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 perhaps some of the cultural things that were going on, maybe it is uh, beneficial for us to understand some of the suzerain vassal treaties that were going on in other lands and and with pagan deities and and so on and so forth, right? I would say then that then don't use it. I guess my 
I'm still pondering this, but I would say then don't classify it as a devotional Bible. That, oh, right. That yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that there's a time. So in my personal opinion, I think that there's a time and a place for study. And then I think that there is a time and a place for devotions and, and coming close to God. And I don't think that I don't think that coming close to God necessarily uh, is is a time for us to be opening up the the Egyptian Book of the Dead to see what uh, uh, what what the Egyptians felt on on you know death. Yeah, that, I don't think that's an appropriate like, time. Like how how do, how does it help you, Caleb, as a believer? How does it build you up if I give you something from Scripture and then I immediately tell you? Oh, it's not well, scripture. <laughs> it's root. It's actually modified paganism. Right. It's it's paganism reworked and and sprinkled with some Israelite religion on it, and and it's in the Bible now. How, See, I what, I audit, so, what is, I come, especially what does a new believer do? So oh. so per, well, hang on. Let me respond. Let me respond to that because I to me when somebody tells me that if it's in the Bible and and God is using it, it means then automatically my thought pattern is no, it's the other way around. God had it first paganism has twisted it because I believe that that's what Satan does. He takes things that God has made and, and twists them. Right. So in the case of something like, like a Psalm 29 or something like that, uh, somebody might try to argue such a thing, but I would argue that no, from the beginning of time, God has proclaimed his word. Anyway, um, you know, the, this, I don't know if this is a good bridge to a different topic or not, but you know, I've been thinking about something that's maybe not exactly the same. Recently, I've been trying to think of whether or not it's okay to use another person's religion to try to show them the truth. And I'll, I'll give you some examples. So, um, so for instance, we have brothers who are constantly in a battle against Islam. Right? They're they're debating people. Uh, who are Muslims, or we have people like myself. I used to go down and, and uh, try to evangelize Mormons, right? And I'll, I'll use myself. That's probably the best thing to do. So one of the things that I would do is uh, they would train us how to. They would we'd read all the Mormon literature, the Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, Doctrines and Covenants, all these kind of things. We pick out stuff that we thought would would help us, and then we would go. And what we would do, our tactic was, we'd say. No, 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 that's not what you believe. See, look, here in your own literature, it says X, Y, Z. So and, now you become an exegete for their, right. <laughs> for their and, text. And, and, the, and what we always use to, to justify this, 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 kind of, um, this kind of evangelism was when Paul went to uh, Mars Hill and he says, you have a, a statue to the unknown God. Okay? Now, I th now, I've been thinking about this. I actually think that there are, this is different. The reason that I've been thinking about this is because some people have, have talked to me recently about using Jewish mystical texts to show Jews that they actually believe in a triune God, or using Jewish mystical texts to show Jews that they actually believe X, Y, Z. Yeah, that's it, Shapira, it, like Metatron, that's... Uh... Right. And, that was, and so, yeah, yeah, we've seen. So, so to me, like, I'm starting to think that, no, we shouldn't try to, to show people that. In fact, I think that it's actually the opposite because what we should do is we, for instance, within Judaism, the Jews should feel an uncomfortability. In other words, it's not Judaism. Christianity is not modern day Judaism. 
a belief in Jesus, a belief in Yeshua, a belief in the triune God is not modern day Judaism. It's different. And so there needs to be that feeling of uncomfortability in the same way that I shouldn't try to show the Mormons, Hey, what you believe, you actually believe what I believe. That's not what I should, should do. I should say you believe something different than what I believe because what I believe is biblical and what you believe is not biblical. Sorry. I bridged over into a totally different topic. No, it, it's, it, it's, um, the, these things are all tied together. It has to do with communication across you know, how do we uh, interpretation communication across culture? Another, I had uh, one other thought on the other topic of sure. this kind of a, uh, ancient Near Eastern archaeology study Bible kind of thing, or uh, historical context study Bible that sort of thing, is it, if it pushes too far, and and this has been around like a hundred years ago, like the there's. Uh, the Jewish Encyclopedia, not to be confused with the Encyclopedia Judaica, but the Jewish Encyclopedia was an American effort among, you know, real liberal Jews, you know, not really practicing Jews, but scholars who were like immersed in the ancient Near East coming out of the 18, uh, 1800s with the decipherment of ancient Egyptian and Akkadian, right? There was like all this stuff, like, wow, all this context to the ancient Near East. Now we can read the Bible as just literature, ancient Near Eastern literature, right? That's all it is. And we can learn about, you know, stuff like, oh, Psalm 29. Oh, it looks like this other thing. Oh, there you go. Israelites taking from, and they did it again with the Sabbath. The Sabbath, they say, comes from the Babylonian word, sapatu, which was just a monthly mid-month ritual day. And what the, what Israelites did is they just said, Oh, you know, we're going to, we're just going to take the Babylonian calendar and we're going to make it every seven days. And, um, and then we're going to use this, we're going to use their word though. So now what they did is they provided an alternative story of origin instead of the Sabbath being from creation, (laughs) right? A gift to man which Yeshua affirms the Sabbath is made for man. And you're, you're, what you're saying is, Oh, Yeshua was, you know, he was just like everybody else. He just was ignorant. He didn't know the real ancient Near Eastern context that this was just a pagan thing that was taken and made into this new religion. And it doesn't matter if you're King David or prophet Jeremiah or Isaiah, or if you're, or John the Baptist or, Jesus himself or any of the rabbis, they're all fooled. They're all believing a lie. They're all believing uh, that what was really a a makeshift religion sometime in the, you know, ancient world where you had a group of people who gathered all these things from different cultures, Egypt, Canaan, Mesopotamia, and made their own little religion to, to, so because they wanted to try to sure, sure, you sure. Know, have their own power. If you want to go, that's, that's what these people are saying. And so you've got to really be careful with these study Bibles because um, it's dangerous. That, I mean, that's an example. And that's been around for over a hundred years. That example, people saying, Oh, the Sabbath, <laughs> silly you. But this, you, this, you, you don't know that was just an adopted. But what you, what, what, I mean, what you're talking about seems to me to be the pinnacle of what we call liberal scholarship. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, this is liberal scholarship saying, oh, all, all of Judaism, all of all of the biblical texts that we have is really just a rip off. It's just a Canaanite something that, you know, Canaanite little tribe that ripped off a bunch of other other religions. And not only that, but the texts are much later. So Daniel isn't written, you know, in the 700s. He's written in the 200s and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I see this as the and progression. And there's, there's a Marxist worldview behind it, too. It's like Absolutely. the elite did this so that they could use religion to enslave people in fear of punishment and so that the priests could you know not have to work right yeah right i mean that that's the marxist perspective it's like is that where it shows how twist back to your point at the beginning the the devil is gonna right drive people to you can interpret the bible however you want there's another oh do i have it i'm sure i do the problem is is that my my uh sound it's just really hard to find uh basically anything anyway all right well um i i want to uh i actually do want to change subjects here i want to go to um so we've had a couple of comments this might be a short show and that's totally fine um i want to change topics to trinitarian doctrine we've had a couple of comments on some of our past shows now i've tried to kind of give the trinity doctrine uh a rest because i don't want people to think that this is like that, uh, the whole show is just us responding to non-Trinitarians. However, this just shows, these comments show that people that are arguing against Trinitarianism have not done any homework. They don't, they have not understood any concepts at all of the Trinity. And uh, we'll just jump into these. S.G. says, if God equals the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit together, when the Son gave up his authority, in heaven to become a man. Let's stop right there. Yeshua didn't give up his authority. That's not a doctrine that any Trinitarian that I've ever known has ever believed in, that he gave up his authority. Yeshua is God, and he always is God. He always, so he didn't give up his authority. He gave up his he position. He refrained from using it. He refrained from using because it. Because he says, he, he says, don't you know that I could, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, I could call, what, 12 legions of angels right Right. i mean the idea is he refrained for a greater purpose for for the purpose of 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 redemption he shifted roles he -hmm. took on the role of a servant that's what he did he took on the role of a servant and but that doesn't mean that he gave up all, all of his authority uh, anyway, not at all. Why? Well, why? Because he, he, like Paul writes in Galatians, he loved me and gave himself for me. Because Yeshua's love is God's love. Yeshua's right. love before the cross is what connects his people to him, and why he took our sins on his shoulders to the cross. He did that as fully God and as fully man. That was uh, okay. an act of God. So. He goes on and he said, and this is where he, this is where he just falls apart. Whoever SG is. And I don't know if this is a man or a woman, but this is where the, the argument just totally falls apart. Was God still God? If one third of the equation was no longer there in heaven, God is not an, is, yeah, yeah, God is not an equation of three thirds. This, the, the father is not one third of the equation. The uh, spirit is not one third of the equation and the son is not one third of the equation. All of them are 100% of the equation. The fullness of deity dwelled in him, dwells in Yeshua. The fullness of deity. He is fully, truly all God. 
And this is one of the reasons that we cannot separate Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When you see the Son dying on the cross, is it the Father? No, but is the Father there? Of course the Father is there because you can't separate Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And how is he there? He's pouring out his wrath on the Son. So every work that the Son does is in tandem with the the Spirit and the Father. Why? Because they are one. You can't separate them. You can't say that... Uh, you know, Yeshua is is one third of the equation. You can't say that the that the Father is not. This is, I mean, this is one of the reasons that uh, the Trinitarian debates really had a problem with. It did did Christ give up his omniscience? In other words, if he is contained in a body, is he still omnipresent? And the answer is yes. How is he omnipresent if he's contained in a body? The answer is because he's also the spirit, which is everywhere. So even though he sits on the throne in heaven, he is able to indwell his people with his spirit. It's so, like where, uh, remember in, in John chapter one, it says, uh, Nathaniel comes, what good can come out of Nazareth? Right. And Philip's like, come and see. And then he comes, he's like, uh, I, you know, when you were under the tree, a fig tree, I saw you. And he's like, right. You are uh, the what? Messiah. You are the son of God, right? You are the right. King of Israel. Like, what the heck was that all about? How did Yeshua know the, the heart of the Pharisees? Right. So the, this this notion that uh, you, and this is one of the problems that I see with the anti-Trinitarian camp. They don't realize that we're not saying that God is chopped up into to, uh, thirds. It's like a pie that's three pieces. Yeah, exactly. Pie. That's not what we're saying. God is one. There's only one God. He is Father, Son, and yeah, Holy God Spirit. God is not like a pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then, uh, so I hope that that, that was there's that a there's a title for a for a book for you, Caleb, or a a, a new post on on Pronomian is God uh, is not a pita. God pizza. is not a pizza. God is not a pie. God is not a pie. <laughs> Punch in pie. Okay, Mitchell C then <laughs> writes in and he says. Hello, Paul says, one God, the Father, not one God, three persons. Does anyone refer to God as they? Oh, this is, they're so... Is this like they, them? What's God's pronoun? They, them. What what is so egregious about this comment is that Mitchell doesn't seem to realize the scholarship that has gone into the reference, reference, which is 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Let's read before it. We'll start in uh, 8, 5. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist." The perhaps the the most hard hitting commentary uh, on this is in Chris Tilling's book, uh, Paul's Divine Christology, where he deals a lot with this uh, passage. And what he does is he goes through the Greek to show that what Paul is doing is he is referencing the Shema, the the Septuagint of the Shema. So if you don't know what the Shema is, it is uh, Deuteronomy six four and following. Hero Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And if you look in the Greek, Paul is using the same words here. And he refers to, for us, there is one God, right? Theos, the Father for whom, from whom are all things. Notice that from whom are all things also is equated to Christ. So Christ is given both of the, both the Father and the Son are said to have 
all, all things are from the father, but through whom all things exist are from the son. So they both have, they both share in that same thing. So from whom all things are, uh, and for whom we exist and one kurios, this is the same word here, Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is the uh, kurios is one. So he's, right. so what Both theos and kurios occur in Deuteronomy six, four. Right. It's the Shema for, text. And, and this right. is Chris, this is Dr. Tilling's point is that, uh, Get the this, book. yeah, this is a veiled, what, uh, what first Corinthians eight, six is, is, is a declaration by Paul that the father and the son are in fact one God because he is, for those who know their Greek, he is referencing Deuteronomy six, four. So Mitchell's comment here uh, falls flat because he has not understood that the reference that he is actually quoting is a reference to the Shema. Uh, it actually works totally against his point. And no, of course, God is not referred to as they because God is one. It is he, which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, I mean, the funny thing is, is that those who are anti-Trinitarian have to deal with texts like this. The first Corinthians eight, six text actually is a Trinitarian text. So you're going to have to deal with that text to be able to, to work your way around Trinitarian doctrine. Instead, you try to use it for your benefit. It shows that it shows that there is a disconnect here. All right. Uh, that's what I got, man. That's all I got. You got anything else? You want to talk about anything else? No, no. We 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 know how to pronounce your name in Hebrew. We know that study Bibles are forbidden. So, <laughs> so should we should we talk at all about Yom Kippur? Yeah. So I, I sure I, yeah I did a forty minute long response video to uh, Chris Roseborough's Rosh Hashanah is not a biblical feast. You can find that on pronomian.com or on my uh, on my personal YouTube channel, Caleb Hegg. Um, and he said something interesting in that in his video that I was responding to, which is that for Christians, Yom Kippur is now celebrated on Good Friday. And you know, I responded to that in the video as I was listening to it. And I said, no, that's not the case. In fact, Passover is now celebrated on Good Friday, right, for Christians. Um, even if they may not realize that that's, you know, and Paul says that, therefore celebrate the feast, right, in uh, 1 Corinthians 5. Um, but I was thinking about just how Christians have really missed the imagery of Yom Kippur. Many Christians, maybe not Roseboro, maybe Chris Roseboro, understands because he's maybe more learned about those kind of things than some Christians. But the imagery of Yom Kippur is, is given throughout Hebrews. Nowhere in the scriptures are we told that the Christians now have a Yom Kippur on a different day or that Yom Kippur is spiritual or anything like that. And one of the things that I've thought of is, is how much the day of Yom Kippur, even according to the book of Hebrews, points to Christ and the work that he has done on the cross. And so I think it's a beautiful thing for Christians to celebrate this, this festival. Uh, we fast on it and afflict our souls. I also, I'm just kind of rambling right now, but one of the things that I did this morning, and I don't have it in front of me, it's okay, I'll grab it right here, um, is in Leviticus 23, he, 
I notice that he says, when I say he, I mean, I guess, God, right? Um, there is some major... Hang on, I'm getting there. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, so he, there's actually three punishments here, right? Listen to this. There's, uh, I think there's death. We'll read it again. I think there's death. I think there's banishment. And then I think that there's death by God. Now on the 10th day of the, of the seventh month of this day of atonement, it shall be for you a time of holy convocation and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. Now, this is also interesting is that the nation is supposed to present a food offering to the Lord. However, we're supposed to, this is not a pilgrimage festival, so we're supposed to celebrate it wherever we are. And you should not do any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is afflicted on that very day shall, whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. So there's cut off. And whoever does any work on that very day, that person I will destroy from among his people. So there's death by God, right? So that's not even death from the people. And you shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. So in all your dwelling places, right? So we're supposed to celebrate this no matter where we are. So I guess the death penalty is not there. However, death penalty is implied just because it is a Sabbath. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourselves. And on the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening. Oh, and of course, we have the evening to evening, right? So those who believe that the uh, Sabbath should be from sunrise to sunrise, you got a major problem with Leviticus uh, 2332. Any thoughts on Yom Kippur, Rob, before we go? Nope. You covered some good ones there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand the point of trying to do play twister with the scriptures and make Rosh Hashanah a non-existent or to twist Yom Kippur to Good Friday. I, I, I that's like, I, I see that as attempts at Christian Midrash, you know, like trying to like create meaning and like to try to like it's interesting you say that because I think that it's kind of the same as I, I think it's uh, Christianity attempting to uphold the tradition as opposed to the biblical text. You know, even in many Christians right. that I've spoken to recently, there is just a lot of gymnastics. To tr they're really trying to force home the idea that the Torah has been done away with. If you just let the text be the text, you got to say that the, the Torah, you know, the, the festivals and the, and the Sabbath have to be kept. I'm sorry. Keep going. I interrupted you. No, that's, that's all. That's all. All right. It's been a short show, but you know what? That's how we do. Sometimes that's how we do. Um, I'm going to bring these back up. 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email. Seehagatorresource.com. Uh, the Festival of Booths is coming up. That's going to be fun for many, many, many people, including myself. I got a giant tent that I'm going to put up. It's going to be awesome. And uh, we hope that uh, your Day of Atonement, uh, which... This show will be coming out on Yom Kippur, but we hope that your Day of Atonement is meaningful and that uh, it brings you closer to Christ. And if this show afflicts your soul, then, hey, we've done our job. <laughs> we've done our job. All right. Last but not least, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Why?